Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. The government remains optimistic that the economy will experience a bounce back, but things are feeling very different for business owners on the ground. With every January comes New Year's resolutions and promises of a healthier lifestyle. But is our focus on weight loss something that should be left in the past? And as UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson faces yet another scandal with news of the Downing Street Bring Your Own Booze Party, will our own politicians be looking on with trepidation? Let us know your thoughts on the issues addressed in tonight's show using our Twitter hashtag TonightVMTV. First up tonight, despite the uncertainty around the trajectory of the Omicron variant, the Department of Finance reports a very robust economic performance in 2021 and says it's a positive indicator for the resilience of the economic recovery heading into this year. But for many business owners, this optimistic outlook couldn't feel further away from the reality. Well, in studio to discuss is Minister of State for Business, Employment and Retail, Damien English, Chief Economist for the IIEA and columnist with the Business Post, Dan O'Brien. And via Skype tonight, we're joined by chef and restaurateur, Gal Smith. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Um, Dan, as we pointed to there, like positive economic reports of late, uh, a record tax take that we heard about last week, uh, the Enterprise Ireland report out today on job creation also looking good, and the government really talking up this recovery. But how do you see the big picture? Because there's also an awful lot of uncertainty out there. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll be honest, Claire. I find it very difficult to make sense of what's going on now. Mm. Um, you know, there is... A story that at the end of the year things could be good and we could have come through this and obviously depending on how we get used to living with the virus or maybe it even goes away and, and we get back to normality and the economy continues to recover, that's, that's absolutely possible. Equally, there's a much less good outlook uh, that things uh, begin, you know, organisation or companies like, like Gabs in, in, the, in the food business, in the entertainment business, just start running out of road. This has gone on for so long. Some sectors have been really badly affected by this, that you get a contraction in some sectors. That stuff feeds in to things like tax revenues. Uh, governments start, it becomes harder for governments to borrow to pay for all of this. So, you know, you've got a very wide range. And in my sort of, you know, quarter of a century in the economics business, I've never seen a time where it's so difficult to say where we'll be at the end of a year. Many people may have been surprised by these record figures when you look at, for example, at the tax take. And you're saying you're struggling to make sense of what's actually happening right now. Why is that? Well, look, a lot of sectors have bounced back. There has been a huge amount of government support to sectors that haven't been doing well, and that's kept things going. Um, you know, effectively, the, the entire economy has been bailed out, whether it's to do with uh, people who've lost their jobs, wage, wage subsidies, business subsidies, and that's kept the show on the road. Mm -hmm. Now, there's an artificiality to that, mm -hmm. that a lot of this is being funded by government, 
getting printed money from the European Central Bank, in essence, and putting it into the economy. Now, how long that can go on for? Again, you know, if you had asked me two years ago, I wouldn't have thought it could go on as long as it has. It's still going on. Mm -hmm. um, at what point do things start changing? At what point do interest rates start rising and it becomes more difficult for governments and businesses to finance what they need to do to get through this? I just, you know, I genuinely don't know. It is a really perplexing time. We've never been in a situation like this before. Uh, Minister Damien English, would you uh, agree that the picture we're seeing right now is to an extent artificial because of all those government supports that are in place and um, because of many businesses kept afloat with various grants and, and because we are dealing right now with a COVID emergency rather than a regular, normal functioning economy? Uh, it's hard to judge it. I don't think it's artificial. It is for certain sectors, and, and, the, and the certain sectors, certainly hospitality, entertainment, under immense pressure and have been for the last two years and still have an uncertain future, as Anne referenced. And we have to continue to support those businesses for the next couple of weeks and months to get through this and as they, as, as they recover and hopefully as we get through this fourth wave and move on to better times, we have to judge the support to them as well. But on the other sector, I mean, I would have to say it was, thankfully, when we come into this, we were in a position through, yes, borrowed money and EU interventions, but also from our own public finances, they were in a sound position that we could support the businesses and support jobs and family incomes for, for the last two years as we came through this. So we're in a relatively strong position to continue to that. That has come at a high cost, there's no doubt about that, as well as trying to save lives and through, through public health measures. But I would say, Claire, one point I would point to, before this wave hit us in December, unemployment was down to about 7%. That was even ahead of our own predictions. We also thought we'd probably be at 10 or 11 percent by the end of 2021. It was mm. down to 7%. Of course, it's affected again now because of this wave. But that was a really strong recovery. And, and I think, and we feel as a government... That's that we, essentially a lot of people are being kept in their jobs as well with, yeah, no, with no, various but, but, payments yeah, but, 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 but in fairness, pop, those people on pop payments were down to less than 50,000 at one stage. So, yes, the wage subsidy was there. Uh, I was supporting a couple of hundred thousand jobs, but had reduced greatly from where it was. So we were in a very strong position. And hopefully, if we can get through this month, and I appreciate from many sectors, this is a, still a Difficult time, difficult month, but I think we can bounce back. All right. Um, Look, we want to we want to get a view from um, a person who's really feeling it at the moment. Uh, Gal Smith, uh, chef and restaurateur with uh, Michaels in Mount Marion. Normally, uh, I guess around this time you'd be wrapping up for the night. Instead, you're still closing at eight o'clock as you have to by the rules. Um, First off, I want to ask yeah. you about the changes that have been made, Gaz, around close contacts that we're hearing this evening, because we know that there's been huge staff shortages because of people having to restrict their movements. The changes that will mean asymptomatic, vaccinated and, in fact, boosted people can go into work. What difference will that make uh, for your business, say? It's fairly huge. That was a big fear that I had upon reopening after Christmas. Um, how would we deal with that? Um, we got very little guidance. Um, things weren't updated as quick as they could have been. Um, was it 10 days? Was it seven days? Was it five days? How were, we, how were we supposed to plan our rosters and planning around that? Um, I think that whilst we're all very grateful as a sector of the supports the government put in place, I don't think anyone should be patting themselves on the back in terms of communication in any shape or form. Um, we know there's no perfect answer to, the, to this at all. Um, the communication hasn't been great. Um, if there was great communication, I feel that we, we could possibly bounce back um, way faster and way less uh, stressed. 
Yeah, describe what the, the absences um, of we, communication you mentioned there, um, because, I mean, that news came, we knew that this Omicron wave um, was, was about to, to come upon us, and then we got this announcement about the 8pm closure, for example. What, what further communication did you need over the Christmas period? We, um, we, got, we got guidelines on the 22nd or 23rd, and there's been radio silence since then until uh, yesterday, basically. And I personally have 35 staff who have been staring at me with 50 questions, and I have no answers. Um, we as a sector, we're really, really good at finding solutions to issues. This is what we do. Um, our trade in hospitality is finding answers to solutions to navigate our teams through this. Um, but we need guidance, and there's been very little in this. Um, I genuinely, hand on heart, the, structure, the support structures from the government have been really, really good. They're not quite hitting the mark right now. Um, I would class myself as, as, as fairly canny at trying to make things work. And between the CRSSS, the EWSS, and the 40% trading, I can't keep my payroll on the road through this. I just can't. That, that, um, that, was, that was my next question to you. So we have this 8pm closure that's in place. We hear it's going to be in place, in fact, till um, the end of this month. Have you a figure on the daily cost of that to your business? There are two options here. Two genuine, and I, I spent my entire Christmas week closed bouncing these around between me. I, I drove my accountant bananas every Christmas. There is two answers to this. Either we can open until 10 p.m. or they increase the trading facility to 55% and we can, um, we can adhere to the government CRSSS scheme. There is no way that we can keep our payroll in full and our teams in place throughout January without either one. Mm. Um, and it's time for the state to answer which one is it. Um, there's been no evidence or, or any communication whatsoever about why they chose 8pm. It's neither here or it's neither there. And we've been strung along once again with poor mm. communication skills. They gave us that time. Uh, as recently as four months ago, we were... Um, we were... We were told that outdoor dining was the way to go. So many places invested so heavily in this. We brought all the staff back. We took them back off the pub. We reassured them as, as a people that they are back on our payroll. Yeah. They're back earning tips. They're back, they're, they're back to work. They All of the insecurities that they felt. There's, there's more than 100,000 of us. There's an army of us. And... We deserve better. We brought them back to work. We reassured them. And once again, the rug got pulled from beneath us with an 8 p.m. closure. It wasn't here. It wasn't there. We could have just about survived, maybe, if there was outdoor dining. But was that, not pulled but from that's something that was, again, that was something. Just, I, I just, just, just want to bring yeah. Yeah, I, I you in on this, Jamie, in English. Yeah. Like, you heard what Gaz had to say there. And he's gone through the facts and figures. And losing those critical two hours mm. of business mm. between 8 and 10 is the difference now between keeping staff and losing them.
Yeah, well, there's a couple of issues there. And, and again, it's not really about communication. It's about trying to react to a, to a fourth wave that came at us in the, in the weeks coming to Christmas. So governments and voted NEFID advice had to make decisions here. Again, from well, my what about What about what yeah, Gaz was saying about this, this radio silence oh, yeah, up until the, today, well, over uh, the entire festive period, which yeah, would have been I, I, to be sure. one of the busiest times uh, of the year? Well, Claire, to be honest with you, I, I, there wasn't radio silence because we've all, we all been working for the last week and, and meeting and engaging with the business sector. Sorry, I'm not, going to, I'm not going to have a row with that. I mean, the, cap, the, the, the township was out last week, so was the Taoiseach. Again, asked NEFID last week to relook at the close context because staffing is a major issue. In recognition that businesses were going to be under severe pressure to keep on the staff, the EWSS was reopened again. Pubham was reopened to support those businesses. I, for one, and we all know this, these supports do not replace every lost euro okay. or turnover. Just and on that APM closure but, and the difference yeah. and the, the, yeah, no, the blanket closure that we're seeing. I mean, yeah, we're no, not just a, seeing it. Yeah. No, we're I mean, not just I, seeing I, it with restaurants. We're seeing the fact that you can't go to movie after eight, 8 yeah, p.m. or and, the theatre, and, and the fact that that's in place yeah, now so, to, so till again, the end of the month, when January, as we know, mm. is very different sort of socialising month than we will see over the Christmas period when a lot of people are gathering together. People are off. They're on holidays. There are reunions. It's it, it's different in January. It yeah, wouldn't so, be as as big a spreader, if you like. Yeah, so again, I mean, we have to bear in mind the case numbers are about nearly close to 25,000 every day. So we're at a very, very um, significant part of, of this wave. Uh, hopefully it'll pass in the next two weeks. Uh, like, our, like all the restrictions and all the business supports that he, that he mentioned in relation to the subsidies and the rates that come in at, they're always constantly under review. T tomorrow's meeting will focus around the close context because yes. of serious pressure and we're likely on to staffing see and costs. And we will see positive changes there change that on benefit that. everybody, I, business, supply chains, okay. public service and so on. And then the Cabinet and EFRA will meet again next week to look at the data. And we, you know, at this stage, we're nearly halfway through January. We will be in a very strong position over the next two weeks to remove make that time. Why 8pm? Why 8pm? Yeah. Why? That's, that's a fair point. And I, I'm happy to do with that. Again, the NEFID, as you know, had recommended that we close at 5pm. There was a compromise trying to found, again, to recognise, to, to, to allow some trading time that you could ha have your business open. I meet many people in the hospitality sector who tell me that, that they have done okay out of that. Many others... I don't want to talk over, but many others are under immense pressure, as we can see tonight. There's, there's mixed okay. reaction to that. Look, I, I, but this is something we'll monitor during this month. And hopefully, as the Thomas said earlier on today, we will be in a very strong position coming into February to remove these restrictions and to get back to positive trading environment to help all these businesses recover. Right. But again, February, there's different sectors. I, I just want to bring it's you why, in on this. Why, why was that time agreed upon? What? Why was that time agreed upon? Where did the... The data come from the 8 p.m. is the correct time to close it down. That's the time that we can balance our books between 8 and 10 p.m. Well, let's just you get... Trust us? Did you not crunch the numbers? Was it just pulled out of the hat? What, like, nobody communicated this as why 8 p.m. was discussed. It was it was just thrown out there and just radio silence for the past Certainly, Gaz, um, and I think a lot of, of people in your position have expressed that very same frustration. And I want to ask you, Dan O'Brien, on that. Certainly on... Um, on the, on the closure and the impact that that's, that's having on business and these you know, cross-the-board decisions in, in light of, say, the Omicron wave that you know, everything was back up and running and suddenly, no, we're into semi-shutdown mode. Tell us the impact that sort of decision-making has on the economy. 
Well, it obviously makes, you know, anybody who's running a business, it makes things very uncertain in terms of about re rehiring people, in terms of investing in the business. And like, look, you know, just let's look a bit ahead. Let's hope, hopefully, this is the last wave. But I do think we need to have a, have a conversation about what happens if this becomes the new normal and we get wave after wave and people just change, permanently change their behavior don't go to restaurants as much. Don't go to gigs as much. We, I, I, you know, it's it's a it's a it's an unfortunate conversation to have, but I think we need to start thinking about it. We've hoped it would go away. It hasn't gone away. We need to have a conversation about saying how much longer are these supports going to be in place? And I'm sure Gaz won't thank me for 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 even broaching that subject, but I think we do need to look at it. If this is the new normal. How long are we going to wait until we start getting people out of industries that are in contraction and into growth industries? And, and there are growth industries. Yeah, and say we don't have these continuing shutdowns and we do begin to see that bit of optimism that we're talking about in February. Do you still think that there may be a behavioural shift that people aren't going to be as likely if we are living with COVID, say, to go to nightclubs, to go to pubs, and which sectors, I'm asking, are going to, most likely to be hit this year and, and perhaps in the years to come? By yeah, I think it's very possible that just behaviour has changed. People may socialise less, may go to clubs. But there's also a positive, that if you look at all of the savings that households, people have, uh, they've expanded by tens of billions during the pandemic because people just haven't had somewhere to spend. So alternatively, there could be a sort of party atmosphere if it does go away and people get back into, into in, in more confidence about... Uh, about the, the health situation, there is a lot of savings pent up there. And on the other hand, it could go the other way and people could go out and, and party more. So, I, I, you know, there's reason to be up there. Are you, you well, banking on that idea that I mean, people I, I, will I, I go I out and spend that money? Well, we, well we, we can see them spend the money because that's, look at the tax returns for last year. They're up by 20% in, across nearly all the sectors. Um, so, so people are spending the money. But again, we also want to turn that into job creation and money spent in the country. I mentioned the hospitality, entertainment, the play and leisure sector. Again, those sectors did so, show a rebound in the, a rebound you know, in the autumn. There's a big thing we're, we, not, we're not talking about, mm. and, and that's the cost of living. It's that, um, you know, it, a 25-year high inflation yeah, um, but, but, was but recorded today. It is, and it's putting pressure. But again, you had a long number of years there where there was no inflation. Now it's all coming in one big jump, which puts immense pressure. Uh, and that is putting pressure on wages, on staff costs, for businesses, again, they're trying to recover as well. Government, through the most recent budget, have tried to react in some small way to assist people with this that. Is the yeah. Cash well, boost it's, it's, and the energy it, bill. There's a few, well, the energy bill is one. The changes the that social welfare rates. That hasn't come in yet. That'll no, be the, the springtime, won't rates, it? And then you have the changes in the tax system as well. Again, responses to try to assist won't be enough. But we do know in, in the private sector there has been a general wage increase over the last okay, year. I want to talk continue as well. to you, Dan, about the impact of that um, inflation hitting this 25-year high, as we're hearing um, today. Uh, how are we going to see... Are we going to see you know, any sort of... Uh, relief to that um, in the coming months by the year end. How will it play out this year? Yeah, I, that's my feeling is that it will peak in, around now in the next couple of uh, uh, next couple of months, and we'll start coming down. The big reason why we have more inflation in Europe is because energy prices really went up. If you take out energy prices, uh, inflation is much lower. Now I know that doesn't really make that much difference because people have to pay for it anyway. Mm -hmm. But if you, if it's only to do with one item, or mainly to do with one item in the big basket of things you spend money on. Mm -hmm. If that then normalises quickly, then there's a hope that the whole yeah. overall basket of goods won't be rising as much. So my, my feeling is that 
inflation is going to come down over the course of the year and there won't be interest rate increases in the eurozone because of that. Uh, so a little uh, in that area, I'd be reasonably optimistic that things inflation will come down and interest rates won't go up. And, and likewise, freight costs and shipping costs should come back down as well as things settled after COVID during, during this year. So along with energy reductions and prices, yeah, that should help us because that is a major impact. I mean, Today, with Enterprise Ireland, a brilliant, successful year last year, one of the best years ever for job mm. creation and their companies. But looking at the threats ahead is around the supply chain management and yep. the cost of that and raw materials. So there's an issue there. But I do believe, as Dan has referenced, that those costs should come back down as we move through 2020. All right. Well, um, as we can see, and from speaking to Gaz tonight as well, huge challenges as well ahead for business this year. Um, that's all we have time for on that topic. My thanks to Damien and Dan and to Gaz, who joined us via Skype. Uh, coming up after the break, have we finally had our fill of diet culture? Stay with us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn and has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome back. Just to get to a few of your tweets that we received. Uh, when is normal life going to be restored? When are we going to live with COVID and open up? Um, one person says, explain the 8pm closing time as we know it. The nine euro meal. If you can think back to the nine euro meal, that was when the pubs that served food could open, but the wet, so-called wet pubs couldn't. Um, and certainly that's something Gaz was questioning. Why eight? Why not nine? Why not ten? Um, and that will continue on, I'd say, for the rest of this month at least. Um, they really need to make this change for close contacts. It's impossible to run business properly. Likely to be approved by Cabinet tomorrow, but we don't quite know when the rule change will come in. Um, now to move on to something else. For many of us, the new year comes with promises and pressures to lose weight. But is it time we leave behind this focus on the number of the scales and steer away from this diet culture? Well, joining me is Barry Murphy, Research and Policy Officer for BodyWise, Dr. Ava Orsmond of Orsman Clinics, and via Skype tonight by psychotherapist and columnist with the Irish Examiner, Richard Hogan. You're all very welcome along to the programme. Barry, I want to come to you first. This idea of new year, new you, that people will really look at their lifestyle because they do, whether we like it or not, at this time of year. Um, do you think it's problematic? 
Certainly for people experiencing eating disorders, yes, because I think if we look back at the Christmas period, it's a very sedentary period. There's a substantial kind of food availability. There's a very relaxed atmosphere, but then for people with eating disorders, once January comes knocking, then the messages shift. The context, com the context completely changes. So in an eating disorder, a person is over-exercising, restricting or binging or purging or using laxatives or those kind of things. Mm. So when January comes about, those kind of messages are amplified because the societal discourse is all the stuff around the gym routines, changing how you look, how you feel. So in recovery from an eating disorder, is, it's kind of like putting on a life jacket in a sense. And when a person hears messages that are in a sense kind of kind of dis disordered eating from the wider culture around them, that does chip away at that, that sense of recovery. So how do you think then that this can be done, I suppose, in a responsible way? Because people are essentially, in many cases, maybe feeling, as you say, a very indulgent Christmas, but then this flip side, that 180 in, in, in communications. But many people do feel it. I need to do something. I need to get into this new year. I need to be healthier. Um, I need to look at what I eat. How can that be done in a positive way that isn't triggering and isn't difficult um, for people who are overcoming eating disorders and other people who may be uh, very anxious about the messages they're receiving? Yeah, it's, it's really hard and there's no kind of, I suppose, silver bullet with that. Okay. Um, it is a difficult one, isn't it, um, Ava Orsmond? You run clinics, you're looking at people every day who are presenting with chronic problems with obesity. What would you say um, when you hear Barry saying that this messaging that we're hearing is, is triggering, it's problematic for people, new year, new you, um, that it isn't a really a fix-all for people? Yeah, no, it's obviously sad and I understand that these people have an issue, but it's a very small percentage of the population, one to four percent of the population that has eating disorders, where we're talk about, talking about Ireland, where majority of the people are overweight or obese, so it's more common to be overweight or obese than normal weight. And we have sort of a bit also forgotten how normal person and a normal child looks like. And I think it's really important that we sort of bring, you know, the message back home that yes, it's good that in January and after big festivities, we pull a little bit back and we start looking what we are eating because an average person puts around five pounds of weight on a yearly basis. And you think about this is why the overweight and obesity levels are going up. And we are not talking about the body shape. We are not talking about body shaming not physical appearance, this is really about the health and there's enough statistics around the consequences. I see this in my clinics every day. Mm. I see type 2 diabetics who are on a number of medication. Type 2 diabetes disease alone takes over 10% of the health budget in Ireland. So you think about how many years we have been talking about the hospitals are, you know, really problematic, like the pro there's a big issue with money and we are spending money on a lifestyle disease. So like it's really important that we, we get communities together with different TV programs where we're trying to make the communities to exercise, look at the diet in, in, as a families together, as a team. You mentioned there about, you know, the pounds, the weight loss and, uh, you know, stepping on the scales. Do you think um, that idea, because I know there's been criticism around that idea and just generally that maybe a move away from, from, from that would be good. Um, you see, I'm coming from a different culture, first of all. I'm coming from Finland, where children are weighed from the moment they are born, and that weighing and measuring never stops because it's part of the public health initiative, and it's very important. And what's that the impact of that? 
there is no impact. It's very good impact because people are made health conscious. People are made weight conscious that that is actually one of the body, you know, the health measures. The same way if you went to your GP and your GP says, oh, I'm going to measure your blood pressure. You're not going to be saying, oh, no, that is making me anxious because maybe you discover that I have a high blood pressure. So if I discover you have you are you are excess weight, that will impact your blood pressure. I have a gentleman in my clinic who asked after 35 years at the age of 69 by losing two and a half stone was able to stop his blood pressure medication. That 69 year old man losing two and a half stone and stopping his blood pressure medication. You in, in, imagine the impact that this will have on a national level if people lost even everybody just one stone of weight, how much that would affect their health. Okay, I want to bring Richard Hogan in here because we're talking about that, um, I suppose, this idea around New Year, New You, um, resolutions, lifestyle changes, all happening in January, difficult month for many people. Um, and we've heard... Ava discussed there about the fact that, look, this is, you know, simple. Uh, it's a health check. It's, it's looking at your weight and seeing, you know, what you can do about it. But what, uh, um, I'm wondering about the impact of that and whether you think it's a good thing. Well, Claire, thanks. Great to be on the show. Um, I would probably strongly dis disagree with what Ava said there. Um, I suppose working clinically and uh, looking and working with adolescents in particular, um, the research is there that anorexia is the, has the highest mortality rate of any mental health disorder. In fact, the mortality rate is 12 times higher than any, any cause of death for females between 15 and 24. Um, I, think, I think that alone is a staggering statistic and should wake us all up as clinicians, as policymakers, as advertisers, as people in the media. Of course, attaining a healthy body um, desirable body weight and, and that is you know that's that's a healthy thing but it's how we do it with our children it's how we talk about body weight it's and body image and it's about you know removing shaming of people and about the idea that David said about forcing children to be weighed all the time I think we need to get you know I think we're in the age of extreme individualism I think the selfie is the biggest uh, you know re most remarkable thing there we're, we're always looking at ourselves and we're so interested in body I mean I think we need to shift away from that and we do that as parents we bring that culture in I think we're in a very, I think we're in a society at the moment that's very much designed around Instagram and, and superficiality. And I think we need to change that because children are suffering, Claire, and that's the reality of it because they're coming up in this, in this environment that's just all about body and image and self. And we need to help them to move out of that. Yeah. Um, Barry, are, are people who are using your services saying that they are hugely influenced by what they're seeing on social media um, around body image? Is there a direct correlation between that and developing an eating disorder? There's a very dark side to social media, obviously. And look, we live in a very visual device oriented world. 350 million photos are added to Facebook every single day. That's about 4,000 photos a second. So we've become a very comparison based society. It's hard to say definitively what the link is. The research is kind of contested. Some show a kind of a link. Others say it's kind of more up for question. So it's, it's a very complex one in relation to, to social media. I know tomorrow there's going to be news in relation to online safety, and that includes potentially eating disorder and things like self-harm. So that's a really positive piece. And in BodyWise, we've worked with Facebook and Instagram, Twitter, TikTok around issues around online safety. Uh, well, and we'll act, ask uh, Dr. Ava about it again, but that issue around, you know, um, weight gain and checking your weight and all of that from a health perspective, um, 
Is that ever a positive thing in the area in which you're working? Um, what I'm wondering is, you know, when, when we talk about that losing the pounds and gaining, you know, losing the weight here and there, but, but, but the positive side to that being you can live longer, you're less likely to have cardiovascular illness and all that sort of thing. Is there ever, you know, a positive steer on that, you know, within your organisation or can you see that at all? Well, part of people recovering from an eating disorder is the deterioration piece stops. So some of that is say for an anorexia nervosa that they will potentially regain normal weight. So, you know, it's not, it's not about bashing kind of weight interventions. That's not where we're speaking from. It's just that there are aspects of anti-obesity messaging in public discourse that are not unproblematic for people with eating disorders. Okay, um, I'm just wondering here, how are we going to bring the message and talking about healthy eating and how important this is where we actually, anorexia is such a small percentage, also as a disease, it's a totally different pathophysiology altogether and origin totally different. So what I'm saying is that would we not rather think that these people who suffer from the eating disorders would actually just not watch television, these programs and things can trigger and clearly somebody with the eating disorders, there are other things as well that will trigger them. So I think it's important also that we are realistic here and look at the numbers where the biggest problem in the society is and concentrate on that. Even just talking about the COVID now here, we need to remember that, for example, overweight and obesity is a serious risk factor for serious COVID cases. And if we look at the cases of young people who are in ICU units uh, with COVID, they are usually overweight and obese. A big majority of them are. We are not talking about that. We are not talking about the fact that vitamin D deficiency is one of the serious, you know, uh, also problematic for, for uh, COVID. So we really should bring the health message and the benefits of our health. Do you agree, though, weight. with all of that, that while the health message has to get out there because of social media and I guess the way messaging is everywhere now, it's very hard to just switch it off. It's really difficult to yes, just avoid it. Yes, of course it is. And that's why we basically need also, I would say that HSE should also step back and actually look at their guidelines because very, very many guidelines at the moment, still our food pyramid, dietitians working in hospital, it's absolutely disgraceful mm. the type they treat type two diabetics and the people are giving unspecific advice, go home, lose some weight, but they're not told how to lose it. They're not giving the tools, okay. they're not giving the support, and this is what people need. I have seen huge benefits without any medication, people changing their lifestyle, losing weight from type 2 diabetes to a blood pressure to cardiovascular disease. They get also huge benefits psychologically. We're talking people from depression, sure. mental health. Okay. Like we saw the shift over the COVID lockdown when people who started to exercise and actually engage with healthy eating, how but they we actually also saw it. during the lockdown, you know, a huge rise in eating disorders and, 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 and plenty of challenges. Like we saw a lot of extremes during this but lockdown of course, that everyone would feel. This balance, this is obviously yeah. what it I want, is. I want to ask Richard, we just got a tweet in there. We need to have real conversations about societal attitudes to weight and the body shaming that comes from that. Um, mm. Do you think that's true, that that kind of conversation hasn't been had? 
I, I absolutely do think it's true, and I think it's a very important conversation. It's, I think this is a very important conversation to have to, this evening because there's a lot of children and there's a lot of parents watching this tonight with, with children in the house that they're very concerned about and they're, they're watching their, their eating habits and they're, they're, they see that they're hiding their food or they're wearing baggy clothes or they're excessively exercising and they're watching their weight decrease. And so I think it's a very important conversation. Like 100 years ago, this was not affecting our children and it's, it's here yeah. today. And we have to look. We are society, Claire, all of us. We make up society. We make the culture. We decide on that culture and that social discourse and what's going to go on and our society is going to filter down into our children. And we, enough is enough, I think, here. I think we have to really look at this. If you sat with me, Claire, in my clinic every day, you would see the devastation that this is having on, and particularly young girls. And we have to really stand up. I've got three daughters myself, and it's something I feel very passionately about. We have to stand up here and say, this is enough. Enough is enough. Yes, I think what Dr. Ava said there is important. Balance. It's really about celebrating food. It's not about restricting and severe dieting and weighing yourself all the time. It's about celebrating food. It's about enjoying the food that you're eating. It's about enjoying healthy food and, and, and looking at that and, and not about restricting and getting rid of and weighing yourself and having this superficial idea about a perfect body and a perfect image and a perfect face yeah. and all this really terrible stuff that has impacted our children for far too long. I think it's time that we really, you know, this is it's a, this could be a starting point where we look at this and say, this is enough. Look, we've got to change the discourse here. Well, it certainly is a starting point because I think it's brought out a, a whole range of questions and challenges with how we deal with this when we look at the obesity problem in this country versus um, the messaging around all of that and, and how we get the balance right. And definitely it's not about looking superficially about somebody's body, body shape, but really when we're talking about children, likewise, there are over 25% of children in Ireland who are overweight or obese and who suffer seriously from the depression. Okay. Like that, if you were sitting in my clinic every day and you saw the overweight and obese people, when they lose the weight, how they gain their life back, their health, their confidence, and when somebody is in control of their diet, their control it's of their life. It's certainly not a black and white issue. Um, and if you have been affected by any of the issues that we have raised in this discussion here tonight, you can view the relevant helplines on virginmediatelevision.ie forward slash helplines. Uh, we will leave it there. My thanks to Barry Murphy, who's joined us, Dr. Ava Orsmond, and Richard Hogan, who's joined us tonight via Skype. Now, coming up after the break, uh, will the focus on Boris Johnson's Downing Street party what will it have on our own politicians uh, feeling the pressure? Stay with us. Welcome back. The British government has rejected calls for Boris Johnson to resign over allegations that he attended a bring-your-own-booze party in the Downing Street Garden during lockdown in May of 2020, to which up to 100 people were invited by email. Mr Johnson has not denied that he and his wife Carrie attended that party. And Labour's deputy leader, Angela Rayner, had this to say in Parliament today. His absence speaks volumes, as does his smirks on the media. The public have already drawn their own conclusions. He can run, but he can't hide. Well, earlier I spoke to author and journalist with Spike magazine and uh, Ella Whelan. I asked her how revealing this latest revelation is of the Prime Minister's behaviour during lockdown. 
Well, I mean, we have had some suggestions of the, you know, before the Christmas period that Boris Johnson might have possibly been at certain gatherings, as they're called. People don't tend to word party in these emails that get sent. Um, but I think this is the first really uh, close to the, the prime minister um, suggestion we have had of uh, something that looks very much like a party, you know, an email being sent out with a uh, request for people to bring their own bottle. You know, it's not very many. I, I mean, I know they do things differently in Westminster than most workplaces, but certainly if you're going out in the, into the garden with alcohol, it sounds a lot more like a party than a serious cabinet meeting or something like that. And I think it is pretty revealing, despite the fact that we have had in this country scandal after scandal involving ministers uh, and aides, whether it be Dominic Cummings or Matt Hancock or Neil Ferguson, who have broken the rules over the last two years. Um, the reason why it's, it's really revealing is because at that time, in May 2020, the government had issued regulations that meant that police officers were arresting people on benches, sat alone, and they were harassing people in parks, people at funerals were being pulled apart when they hugged each other to console each other. It was misery. It was abject human misery across the country for most people. And I think to see evidence of perhaps the prime minister, but certainly people very close to him in number 10, essentially uh, suggesting that they needed to have a bit of a break and have a bit of fun um, while the rest of us suffered, I think will make a lot of people very, very angry. It may make a lot of people very angry, Ella, but the big question is, because they were angry as well about the Christmas party um, at Downing Street and, and various other issues um, since Boris Johnson became Prime Minister, but he's managed to survive. So will he survive this time? Well, the thing is, for hardline conservatives, uh, you know, indeed, you know, members of the party and uh, supporters, everyone knows the kind of difficult truth that Boris Johnson is really their only hope of winning elections. Or so they think. I mean, you know, the choices are fairly slim. You have Rishi Sunak, who hasn't been able to make much of a mark as of yet. And then there's a, in some circles you hear talk of Liz Truss being up there, but she's a bit like Marmite. People either love or hate her. There's no one quite like Boris to be able to uh, pull in votes for them and the reason why I say at least they thought is that I think that they, they, those supporters and those party members might be misguided because I think while Boris might have been able to bluster his way through the 2019 election, he made certain promises in relation to the Conservatives being a people's party, talk of levelling up, talk of handing more power to those in the red wall seats that, they, that the Conservatives took from Labour. The evidence of the last two years, not just of the kind of scandals of uh, ministers going to parties that were illegal at the time, but more importantly, a government bringing in emergency legislation that has is much of it is yet to be revoked in, in a very undemocratic fashion without any parliamentary scrutiny, really clamping down on people's civil liberties, even at times when it wasn't, you know, particularly scientifically necessary throughout some periods of the pandemic. I think all of that will have uh, chase and, should chase and Boris and will have changed a lot of people's minds about whether or not they can put up with this sort of bomb person who often comes a lot across as a bumbling fool. I don't think his charm is going to necessarily carry him in the next generation. At least I definitely think it, he doesn't deserve it to. OK, Ella Whelan, author and columnist, thank you for joining us on The Tonight Show. 
And I'm joined now by Sean Defoe of a News Talk to bring us up to date, I suppose, on, on what's happening right now, because we are hearing tonight that Boris Johnson um, will be addressing Prime Minister's questions, as he should do, uh, tomorrow. <laughs> Yeah, he managed to dodge it today. He sent out a, the, the most junior of junior ministers that no one really had heard of to try and address mm. the issue and kick it out to the, uh, to, to the stands. That hasn't worked and even more questions today. He has to tomorrow. He's got Prime Minister's questions, our version, uh, or the, the UK's version of leaders' questions here. So he is going to have to face either Keir Starmer or Angela Rayner. Keir Starmer has to do a negative COVID test in order to get into the Commons tomorrow. Another little twist in this story. And that's when it's really going to be the proof in the pudding because they only have one question to ask. Were you at the party or weren't you? And there is no squirming out of that answer, whatever way you put it. It's a yes or a no. And that's really going to depend or decide where this goes. Because even a lot of his allies today, very, very quiet, waiting to see how this pans out. Listening to some of the UK journalists, all of their sources this morning, were a little bit circumspect, a little bit saying maybe he can get away with it. And as the day has gone on, the pressure has sort of ramped up around the Prime Minister. So I think tomorrow, well, I don't think it's going to spell the end of, them, end of him. It's probably another nail in the coffin to what will be an eventual toppling for some issue in the coming yeah, and also, you know, what sort of spin might be put on it. I was there, but only for a couple of minutes. I didn't talk to anyone and I stayed, you know, very close to the, the back door. Um, interesting. And we'll have to see how that one plays out for Boris Johnson tomorrow. Uh, but does this have politicians back here a little nervous, a little hot under the collar? Yeah, I think everyone, every politician is kind of looking and going, God, what, what was I at last year? And they're sure we had our own news only last week that was very, very similar, obviously, with this party that went on in the Department of Foreign Affairs mm. in June of 2020 when they were celebrating the UN Security Council vote, the photo that was the photo put there. Up. Yeah, we see the photo there. Now, Burgess, the then head, uh, then Secretary General of the Department of Foreign Affairs, a uh, really stupid moment from him, really, to take a photo like that when everyone was in lockdown at the time we were all confined to our counties weren't allowed to meet a huge amount of other people and yet this champagne party was going on in the department of foreign affairs now is it going to have the same ramifications as it did over in the uk i don't think so most notably because there was no senior politician there uh, certainly that we know about leo varadkar who was taoiseach at the time says he wasn't there simon coveney said he met his staff for 10 minutes in the department of foreign affairs but it wasn't at a champagne party or, or anything like that and the junior minister now minister for justice adam mcintyre also saying she was wasn't there. Um, however, you would raise questions over the judgment of the senior civil servants. However, Niall Burgess, who was there, has since been given a promotion. He's now our ambassador to France. His, his deputy, Brendan Rogers, who was also there, is now the ambassador to the Netherlands. So far from damaging their careers, this event that happened back in 2020, they, they've actually progressed on. Yep. And there doesn't seem to be any sanction for any other civil servant who was there. Uh, and the ministers that you're, you're talking about may well have been aware that there was a party, there was a celebration. Um, it was a big win uh, for the Irish contingent um, at the UN. Um, but Simon Coveney said he wasn't there, but he did address the party, or he did address a grouping. So now, because of that, he is, and, and he issued his own statement mm. about this, um, probably not the first statement of the new year he wanted to get out. Mm. He will now be in front of the Oireachtas Foreign Affairs Committee on this. Tell us about that. And when is that going to happen? Yeah, so it's probably more, more than likely going to happen next week. We're waiting on a, a final date for it. Certainly they're looking to speak to him because they want to get into the, really the nitty-gritty of that. Was he there? How long was he there? Did he properly address them? And did he know what was going on? Because he would have had a responsibility uh, to try and break it up or at least say, look, lads, we, we shouldn't be doing this. Now, in his statement, Minister Coveney did say that he, he wasn't at any sort of a party in the DFA that night that he was addressing a press conference and then other parliamentary business 
that night, which obviously he can prove is a kind of watered out alibi. He was in the doll and he was over at a press conference with journalists. But whether or not ha it has the legs, we will see next week. The doll, conveniently for the government in this situation, doesn't come back until tomorrow week. There is the cabinet meeting tomorrow. So that real political pressure that has ramped up over in the UK possibly won't hold through to next week, but certainly some of the opposition politicians will try. That, uh, just actually a look ahead to tomorrow as well. We'll have to see how that plays out, of course. And um, Simon Coveney not wanting to appear before a, a Foreign Affairs Committee again mm. uh, after a matter of months. But um, just on the other matter, that's b before Cabinet tomorrow. And this is the issue around the uh, easing of close contact restrictions. Um, it's likely to be approved by Cabinet. We heard Stephen Donnelly tonight giving all the details around it. How soon, though, um, are we likely to see the change come about? I would suspect by the end of the week the Minister didn't give an exact date. He said in the coming days it's when it's going to happen and usually they, they do try and give a couple of days lead in time and then put it in place. So you would hope by the weekend that this will actually happen. The CMO gave the advice this evening, Stephen Donnelly obviously outlining it and tomorrow Cabinet has to agree and make sure it's on board with all the different changes. So by the weekend we could have a very different regime. How much of a difference it's going to have I think we still have to wait and see because particularly around the seven day restriction period if you have COVID or if you test positive on an antigen. We know there are false positives on an antigen. I had one myself and spent eight days in self-isolation over Christmas. So that can be there. I'm not sure how much of a difference that will make. But the one around close contact certainly will be better for business. OK, there we'll have to leave it. That is it from us. My thanks to Sean and all of our guests tonight. Uh, our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But for all the late team here, good night and do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.